Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Well, how are we doing? We good? Everybody's good? You look good. You sounded good today. Thank you for your worship. Thank you for your participation today, being here. And uh, they're going to get the lights turned up on me in just a second so you can see me. Uh, Man, I'm so thankful that you're here. I really am. We never take it for granted when you choose to spend part of your Sunday here with us. You heard, hey, there we go. Uh, You heard a little bit just a few minutes ago, but let me just reiterate one more time. If you are a lady in the house, we want you here Saturday for our ladies brunch. Corey's got a great day planned uh, just for you guys. And if you're a guy in the house, you got a lady in your life of any kind, we want them here. So do whatever you have to do to get them here at 10 o'clock next Saturday morning. Go ahead and register. There's going to be food. Obviously, it's a brunch. And so to do that, to kind of plan and make sure we get uh, everything ready for them and, and just receive them and, and serve them well, uh, we want to get you registered. So you can go to the Church Center app. You can go to the website, g.church, click on the events tab there, and, uh, and just get registered for our ladies' brunch. It really is going to be a great time. And next weekend is Mother's Day, but you don't have to be a mom to be at the ladies' brunch. So I encourage you to be here for a really, really special time next Saturday. And, uh, and then one other thing that I want to say, and we hit a bunch of this earlier with some of our volunteers and our huddle that we have on Sunday mornings, but our G team lunch, if you are a part of any of our volunteer teams throughout the church, uh, or if you're thinking about being a part of any of our volunteer teams, uh, we'd love to have you attend the G team lunch May the 15th. It's right after our second service, our 11 o'clock service. So we're going to start about 1230. We're going to cook out, serve you food for free, have a great time. So make sure you go register for that as well. And then I I said it last week. I'm going to say it one more time because we had a great time. I was here for part of it. Tonight, Generation Youth, middle school and high school students, if you got a middle schooler or high schooler, get them here for our G Youth ministry on Sunday night, six o'clock. You won't regret it. It's going to be really, really great. So last week, we started a brand new series called Fundamentals. And uh, we told you that we were looking at over the next five weeks or so, we were looking at some of these topics Uh, out of our faith, out of Christianity, out of the Bible, that many of us may think that we know what they mean, what they're about, but we didn't want to assume that. And so we're going to kind of jump all the way back to the Old Testament and walk through some of these stories that may be somewhat familiar to us, probably are somewhat familiar to us, that would help us to understand what it means to really live in and be in relationship with Jesus Christ and, and have that kind of growing relationship, not just to assume some things about faith and assume some things about Scripture, but really to jump in, dig in, and, and, and know the truth of God's Word. And so last week, we started by talking about the God of creation, and we actually read all of Genesis chapter 1, and we walked through what that creation story really included, what it did include, what it did not include, Uh, And we just talked about God. And what we said last week is that God is bigger than big. That for so many of us, we we have this small view of God and and we need to expand that view because God is bigger than big. We talked about the, the, the universe and all the galaxies and all of those kinds of things. But we also said that God is closer than close. He sticks closer than a brother, and he created us, man and woman, in his own likeness. And so he he knows us so well. And so God is bigger than big and closer than close. And so that's where we started last week. Well, today I want to talk about an issue that faces really all of us, and it has faced us all, all of our lives, because it it kind of preceded all of us, because it's actually been an issue that has faced every human being that's ever walked the face 
of the earth. And to kind of set that up, I want to tell you a story. And I've told this story before, but I can't remember exactly how old I was. So I'm going to say like three or four, but that's not to try to exaggerate any part of this. I just don't remember, but it, that seems about the right timeline in my life and in the details of this story to kind of fit. So I went to the store with my mom and let's call it Target. I don't remember what store it actually was, but let's call it Target. And uh, so we walked into like a Target type store. And so there's, you know, there's a lot of different things that they're selling. And we were walking down the toy aisle. And as we're walking down the toy aisle, I saw a little, you know, little car that I wanted. And so I said, hey, mom, can I get this car? And she was like, no, you don't, you don't need that car. It's like a Hot Wheels type car. She was like, you don't need that car. We're not going to get that car. And I don't know how your family was, but like once we got within about six months of my birthday, anything I asked for, they're like, put it on your birthday list. And anytime we got within about six months of Christmas, they were like, well, put it on your Christmas list. Well, the problem is my birthday's in the summer. So I felt like I was never getting anything. I was always putting it on a list. Um, that makes my parents sound mean. They weren't mean, but it was like, mom, I need new toothpaste. She was like, put it on your Christmas list. You can't brush your teeth for the next six months. It's fine. Uh, but no, 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 she's like, oh yeah, put it, you know, put it on your birthday list, put it on your Christmas list, whatever. And so I was like, okay, all right. So we finish up our time in the store and we get in the car. And when we get in the car, I, I don't know, I'm three or four. I wasn't really thinking about how to deceive very well. And so I just said, man, I can't wait to get home and play with my new car. And my mom was like, what new car? And it was like, at that moment, I realized I'm in trouble. <laughs> And I was like, well, and I pulled out of my pocket that little car that had been on the shelf. And I was like, well, this new car. And she was like, well, I don't remember paying for that. And I was like, well, I did with my job, with the income that I, no, I was like, yeah, I, I wanted it. And so I took it. And she was like, okay, well, when we get home, we're going to talk to your dad. And I was like, okay, I'm in trouble. So we get home, they talk a little bit, then they sit me down. We talk a little bit. And it was not one of those things where like I got grounded, it wasn't one of those things where I got a spanking. You know what I did? I had to go back to the store and I had to go see the store manager and I had to give that store manager the car back and apologize for what I'd done. That was the punishment in that situation. Now, there may have been other punishments. That's the only part of it I remember. We had to go back to Target. We had to go in and at three or four years old, however old I was, I had to say, can I speak to the store manager? And they brought the manager. Let's call him Joe. And Joe comes out and I says, hey, you know, I took this car and it wasn't mine and I didn't pay for it and I'm sorry. And I gave it back. And I distinctly remember the interaction with that store manager. The store manager's like, oh, that is so sweet. You can just keep the car. My dad was like, no, he can't. No, he cannot. Aren't you going to call the police and send him to jail, right? Because my dad, my mom, they wanted to teach me a lesson. They wanted me to know that you can't take things that aren't yours, right? So that, that was what I did at three or four years old. Now, how did I know how to do that at three or four years? How did I know to take something that wasn't mine? How, how did I know what urge was on the inside of me at three or four years old that caused me to want to take something that didn't belong to me? Well, it goes back to another story early in the book of Genesis. It's the struggle that mankind has always had with sin. So I want us to read, if you got a Bible, I'd love for you to go with me to Genesis chapter 2, uh, we're not going to read all of Genesis 2. I know last week we read all of chapter 1. You're like, man, it's going to take us a while to get through this series. But we're just going to read a few verses here together. Then we will we'll read a few verses in just a minute from Genesis 3. But this is what it says, beginning in verse 15 of Genesis chapter 2. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God created man and woman. He placed them in the Garden of Eden, and he put them in charge of the land. He said, hey, I want you to work it. I want you to to kind of do something here. I want you to create some things. And, And so work in and of itself, let me just pause for a second to say work in and of itself is not punishment because there was something that God gave them charge of. You want to name the animals and all of the various pieces that took place in here. But it changed in just a moment because of sin and the work and the pressure and the way that we feel throughout our lives and the way that we have to live now changed because of what took place. But he gave them access to everything that was in that garden. And he only gave them one word of warning. He said, you can have everything that's here except that one tree. There's just this one thing that you have to avoid. Stay away from that one tree. And isn't it crazy how human nature causes us to notice what we're missing instead of what we have? I mean, it's so crazy to me that of all the toys I had at my house, of all the things that my mom was buying that day at the store, that I had locked eyes on that one car and I decided to take something that wasn't mine, that I knew was wrong, and you know I knew it was wrong because I hid it, but I knew it was wrong. And it's so crazy that all of us, from the youngest to the oldest, that we always miss what we have focused on what we don't have or what we can't have. We think about the people that don't like us instead of all the people that do. We think about all that we don't have in our lives instead of all the blessings that we actually possess right now. So God created humanity. He created man and woman. He didn't create machines, and he gave them a free will. He gave us a free will, and I don't have time to unpack all of that, but what I want you to know that we believe here is that you and I have a choice. We do have a choice. We are not machines. We are not robots. We get to choose how to live our lives in obedience or disobedience. And in this story, what we're going to see is that they chose to focus on something that actually resulted in disobedience rather than all that was before them that would have kept them in obedience. And that's the way that they chose to live. They chose to focus on something rather than to Ignore it. So let's keep reading here. This is Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. We're going to read all seven verses here. So just kind of hang on. It says this, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. And God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. This is, without a doubt, the worst day in human history. This was the day that changed everything. The greatest tragedy that's ever happened to mankind can be summed up in this one phrase that maybe you've heard related to this event. It's called the fall. This is the fall of humanity. Every difficulty, every heartache, every tragedy, every complaint, every disease, every defect, every discouragement or disappointment that you have ever experienced is directly connected to this event that we call the fall. Every single one. Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sin entered the world. It entered the picture. It entered the story 
of humanity. And I do think it's interesting here how Satan tempted and deceived Eve because this is exactly the same game plan that he has now. Now, sometimes we give way too much credit to the enemy. So at no point over the next few minutes am I doing that. But I would encourage you, even if you've been walking with the Lord a really long time, to maybe jot this down as some notes. It may encourage you. It may encourage someone else. It may remind you of some things. You can steal the tithe envelope, not steal it, borrow it till in front of you there in the seat back. You can put it in your phone. But these are some things that we see from the very first interaction with the enemy and humanity. And it's the same game plan. He's only got one trick. And it plays out like this. The first thing that he did is he disguised himself. He disguised himself. He was the serpent. He was the shrewdest of all the animals. He was the shrewdest of all the, the created beings here. He, he disguised himself. And, and sin never looks like sin, right? It never looks like sin. Sin is always disguised, always wrapped in something that looks harmless. It's just on the ground. It's just something that's right there. I mean, it's just, if I can talk to it, I can interact with it. Like sin never looks like sin. It is always wrapped in, disguised in something that is harmful. But at first glance, it may not seem like it's going to cost us anything. It may not seem like it's going to hurt us. It may not seem like it's going to be a big deal. But I would encourage all of us to always recognize that the things that can cause us the greatest harm sometimes seem innocent at first. Solomon talks about make sure you catch the little foxes. It's those little things that we leave unchecked that if we're not careful, become a humongous issue in our life. The first thing that the enemy did here in this conversation is he disguised himself. He was subtle. He was sneaky. The second thing that he did is he doubted God's word. Notice what he said. He said, did God really say? He phrased it in the form of a question. Now, let me just pause for a second and say, if you've ever had doubt, there is nothing wrong with you. But what the enemy often tries to do is to create and stir up doubt in our hearts and doubt in our minds about what truth really is. And left unchecked, when, we, when we're living life by ourselves, when we're not in relationship with other people who are in pursuit of the same things, who are working to find truth and to dig into truth, if we are not going with our doubts to God's word, then we begin to allow doubt to stir in our hearts. And so what happens is that the enemy, enemy convinces us that truth isn't truth, not because he's telling us that truth isn't truth to start out. He's just causing us to doubt what God said. I, I was reading this yesterday. It says, the enemy didn't tempt Adam and Eve to kill, to steal, or to commit adultery. He only tempted them to doubt God's word. And so often that's where it begins and doubt in and of itself is not sin. Underline that right there. Doubt is not sin. Doubt should not bring you condemnation. Doubt should not make you feel like you've, you've lost. But where do you go with your doubt? Where do you go with your questions? Questions are normal. Where do you go with those? When you hear us talking about as a church, different events that we have, different things that we have, it is not to fill your calendar. Like, we got a lot going on, too. Like, we don't want to just get together because we need to get together. When we talk about being a part of a G group, we're talking about doing life with other people. We're talking about creating safe environments and safe places where you can have discussion and conversation and do life on life with other people. And you would get to the point, maybe not the very first meeting, like, if you just walked in like, hey, I've got 81 questions about the Bible. Like, they may ask you to join a different group, Okay. But like, if you're like, hey, the second or third meeting, you're like, hey, is this a safe place? Can I ask a question that I don't understand? And if they don't have the answer, I promise you they're going to find the answer. We're going to find it together. They're going to they're go to one of our staff pastors, 
When you see the elder couples that are here in our church and they come down front for prayer, we talk all the time, like one of the roles of elder couples is that they would be a safe place for you to kind of figure out what it looks like to follow after God and follow in relationship with God. Come forward and go, hey, I got some questions. I've got some doubt. I'm trying to determine what truth actually looks like and what it means. Come and ask one of our staff members, our staff pastors. If, if they don't have the answer, if we don't have the answer, I promise we're going we're gonna to go to God's word. We're going to try to find the truth together with you. Doubt in and of itself is not a problem unless doubt goes unchecked. And it is important where you take your doubt. If you take your doubt to people that deny the truth and that are not in pursuit of the same things that you claim to be in pursuit of, it's not going to lead you down the road that you're trying to live your life on. So the first thing that the enemy did is he disguised himself. The second thing that he did is he doubted God's word. The third thing that he did is he denied God's word. After he created doubt, what did he say? He said, you won't die. Well, God said that they would die. He didn't say that they would die instantly, but he said that they would die. And eventually they did. But there was more than just the physical death that took place here. There was, there was a spiritual death that we understand through the law as we continue to read and unpack the law of the Old Testament, and we read the New Testament and the Gospels about Jesus and his role, and we read some of those epistles, those, those letters of the first century church, what they told us is that we wouldn't have known the weight of our sin without the law, that the law brought death, that the law helped us to understand that we by ourselves could not attain, could not find ourselves in right standing with God. There was a death that took place as soon as sin entered the picture. And so God didn't lie, but the enemy tried to convince them that he did, and so he denied God's word. This isn't where he started. This is just where he got to. And this isn't where we usually start. Most of us don't start by denying the truth of God's word. We just start by seeing something in disguise that causes us to doubt, which eventually leads us to deny. Because we're not in relationship with people. We're not taking those doubts and those questions that we have straight to the source and we're not doing life with people that can help us to take next steps toward the truth. And the fourth thing that he did after he disguised and doubted and denied is that he deceived Eve. He deceived Eve and eventually Adam and Eve. Eve fell for it. She and Adam disobeyed God and they sinned. And here's what I want you to know today as we're talking about a very familiar story of Adam and Eve, but we're looking at it for some truth that maybe we we kind of know, but we need to make sure that we've got a clear hold on. If there was no Genesis chapter 3 in the Bible, there would not need to be the rest of the Bible. It's an important part of the story. Because from this point forward, from Genesis chapter 3, all the way to the book of Revelation, to the very last chapter, the Bible is telling the story of conflict between God and Satan, sin and righteousness, and it teaches us to give our hearts to God and live lives in pursuit of him, having received from him all that we need because we can't provide for it ourselves. Because of the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin, God sent his son Jesus. There was a rescue plan that was enacted. And I think it's important for all of us to recognize the weight of sin and how heavy it actually is this perfect good world that God had created was broken because that's what sin always does. It breaks things. Last week, we talked about the God of creation, and I want you to hold to this great truth. God creates and sin breaks. God creates and sin breaks every single 
time. It's not a little white lie. It's broken trust. It's not something related to unfaithfulness. It is literally a broken covenant and a broken promise. It's not just taking a little car. It's not trusting God as provider. And it's being disobedient, in my case, to the authority figures of my life, which could breed itself into disobedience later if it goes unchecked. God creates. He creates order. He creates balance. But every single time, sin breaks. God created order. Sin created chaos. God created confidence. Sin created shame. God created connection, and sin created distance. God created life, but sin created death. Every one of those things that sin created is actually a breaking of the things that God created. So here's the question for all of us today. Is there a place in your life where there's chaos or shame or distance or even death? If there is, you can always trace it back to a lie. Every single time. At some point, you or I believed a lie that sin would deliver something better, but it always delivers something worse. Every single time. God creates and sin breaks, and somewhere along the way, we fell captive to the disguise of the enemy, to the denial of the enemy, to the doubting of the enemy, and we are deceived by the enemy to believe something that is not true. Every single time. It can always be traced back to a lie. So you're like, man, this is heavy. I'm so glad I came for this today. Aren't you so glad you came for this today? So let me give you some hope. Here's two very specific ways that you and I can overcome sin. There's really only one need for them, but I'm going to give you two. I'm going to break it apart. And the first of those ways is that you confess your sin. Confess it. This is probably the hardest thing that you would do. When you recognize what sin actually is, this is probably the hardest step that you can take. You got to call it what it is. You got to stop trying to explain it and excuse it, which I've done so many times in my life. You got to stop trying to hide it, which I've done so many times in my life. And you got to bring it into the light. You've got to call it what it is and confess it. Sin is anything that separates us from God. So again, we don't want to trivialize it or minimalize it. We don't want to act like it's not a big deal. It is a separation from God. It's anything that would come in between us and right standing with God. So not telling the truth or an addictive behavior or stealing money or cheating on your taxes or shady business practices or a thousand other things. It's anything that we know to be truth that we avoid. It's anything that we know to be wrong that we do. It's anything that separates us from God. And as soon as we recognize it, we've got to confess it. What we understand from the story of Adam and Eve from Genesis chapter 3 is that as soon as they recognized what they did, they did what toddlers do. They did what I did. They did what you do. They immediately hid it. They didn't confess it. They didn't walk straight out and go, hey, God, listen, we messed up. You gave us one tree to avoid, and we walked straight to it. I mean, even in the midst of all the other blessings and all the other things that you gave us, we went right to the one thing you told us to avoid. And so, like, we did something we shouldn't have done. And so, God, would you forgive us? We don't fully know and understand forgiveness yet in the book of Genesis. It hasn't been spelled out or laid out for us. But God, would you? They didn't do that. They immediately ran and hid in shame. That's what sin does. Every single time we're ashamed, we feel our guilt, we feel the weight of the law and the penalty of sin, and so we try to hide it. You cannot play hide and seek with God. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He sees 
everything. You cannot play hide and seek with God. I promise you every single time he will find you. Proverbs 28 and 13 says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There's hope today that even if you feel guilt and shame, even if you feel like I know I've messed up, that if you begin with confession and calling it what it is and exposing it to the light and giving it to God, God is faithful and just to forgive. And here's the second thing that we don't often talk about. I mean, sometimes it gets kind of interchanged with what we just talked about with confession. But I believe beyond confession, we must repent of our sin. We must repent of our sin. True repentance is not only confession or sorrow for sin. It's not just feeling bad for what we did. But it's actually choosing to change. It's actually asking God, not just do I confess what I've done, but God, I want you to help me to find freedom from this. I want you to help me to turn my back towards those behaviors and those choices and those relationships perhaps. And I want to repent. I want to turn and change my life. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Hear that, reach repentance. I believe that there is another, there's another theological word called sanctification. And, and what we talk about when we talk about sanctification, it's like a cleansing. It's a clearing out, a cleaning out. It, it's this work of God, and I believe that it's instantaneous, that God does an instant work of sanctification. But I believe you could also say that this progressive work of sanctification, we're like, we're learning more and more to reflect the character and nature of God, is this turning away from sinful behavior, that it's being controlled by the Spirit of God, which we read about in the book of Galatians, where like, I'm actually going to be controlled by the Spirit and not by the flesh, that every single day I'm going to choose to stand up and take up my cross, to actually die to the desires that I have. Just because you have desires doesn't make you a bad person, it makes you a human being. But it doesn't mean that just because you have desires, you should give in to them. James says that's how we are led towards sin. It's our own desires. It's giving in to them. But true repentance says, like, I know who I am. I've got a pretty good self-awareness of, of what I am, what I do, what, what makes me tick. Like, I've got an idea of what that is. And most all of that is, is born out of my sinful nature. And so in choosing to live by the Spirit of God, what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn away from every single day. It's not like a one-time decision. Salvation is a one-time decision. But repentance and being led by the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit alive in my life, is a daily, really moment-by-moment decision to say, I'm turning away from those things which I'm naturally inclined to do, to actually pursue this repentant lifestyle of being led by the Spirit of God. It's pointing my arrow toward Jesus Christ and saying every single decision that I make is more and more a reflection of the character and nature of God in my heart and life. So it's confessing our sins, but it's also repenting of our sins. It's reaching for repentance. We read this earlier. It's not gonna be back up on the screen again, but what we read just a few minutes ago is Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. It says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy that we confess and we forsake. It's not just saying, hey, I, I made a mistake. That's confession. Hey, I did something. I, I sinned against God or against my friend or my family or my business. I, I, I've sinned. I've confessed it. But I'm also forsaking that lifestyle. I'm also walking away from that decision. I'm not going to repeat those things again. 
I would say it this way. Through confession, we find forgiveness. And through repentance, we find freedom. Through confession, we find forgiveness. And through repentance, we find freedom. So where do we begin today? Where do we start? Psalm 139, we read this a little bit last week. Verses 23 and 24 say this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O God, and know my heart. I promise you that if you have the guts to pray that prayer, to actually give God permission to search your heart and to test your motives and test your thoughts and to see if there's anything in you and me that is offensive to him in any way, you're going to find some stuff that needs confessing. You're going you're gonna to see some things in there that, that have been confessed but need repentance, that need a turning away from, that need the Spirit of God to lead you, that need the Spirit of self-control, that fruit of the Spirit of self-control, being led by the Spirit of God to be able to control yourself in moments of temptation. You're going to find some things there because we're human. And that doesn't give us excuse. It just makes us self-aware. And so what do we do with that? Chaos, shame, death, and distance. There's only one answer to fix that problem. And his name is Jesus. I I didn't bring you here today to tell you that you're a terrible, dirty, rotten, no good person. But you're a terrible, dirty, rotten, no good person. (laughs) And so am I. But God knew that. And he sent Jesus, his son, to the earth to live this blameless life and yet to be arrested and accused, led to a gruesome death. And no matter how badly we've broken our life, he can fix it because of what he did on the cross. Romans chapter five is a really, it's a deep theological chapter. It kind of digs into a lot of what we're talking about today in a a much broader sense. I want to read you two verses from Romans chapter 5 before we close. It says this in verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sin. So pause right there. I know it's already on the screen. Don't read it. Look right here at me. That's why a little boy can walk into Target at three years old and steal a car. That's why your toddler can do exactly what you said not to do just now. Don't do that. Like, because inside of all of us from birth, we're, we're a part of this unfortunate, sinful nature. We're connected to the decisions of Adam and Eve. And through one man, we are all guilty. You don't have to commit your first sin to be guilty. We are all guilty. We are all short of all that we need to inherit the kingdom of heaven from birth because of our bloodline. But look at verse 19. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Jesus in some theological circles is is referenced as the second Adam. He, he, He is the resolution of the sin of mankind in the first Adam in the garden. That just... 
just because of Adam's sin and Eve's sin, like we are all guilty because of the obedience and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, we are all set free. We are all forgiven. Adam and Eve sinned in a garden. Jesus submitted in a garden. He said to his father in that garden, he says, like, if there's any way for this cup of suffering to pass me by, please let it do so. But then he recognized the role that he played in the story of the redemption, the reconciliation of mankind. And he said, not my will. My will would be like, I don't suffer, but not my will, your will. What is the will of the father? To bring the resolution for sin, to atone for, to pay the price necessary for the sin of mankind. They sinned in a garden. Jesus submitted in a garden. They sinned at a tree. He hung on a tree. There's a powerful picture that God knew what we needed and he chose to pay the ultimate price because it was necessary for every single one of us. So don't trick yourself into believing that it was just a little thing. It was a big thing. Don't trick yourself into believing that no one will ever know because they will. Don't trick yourself into believing like it's not that big a deal. It sent him to the cross. It was the only way because the enemy's cunning and he's subtle and he's deceptive and he disguises himself in things that don't seem to be that big a deal and he doubts God's word and he denies God's word and he deceives us. And out of our own desires and our own heart, we are led astray. But it's as simple as confession. To confess with your heart, with your mouth, and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's then this process of every single moment, of every single day, choosing to turn away from those things which are not of God and they do not reflect his character and his nature. They do not honor and glorify him in the way that we would live and stay in pursuit of him. But it, it's as simple as confession. To say, God, I am a sinner in need of a savior. And I don't think I'm the only one, but even if I am, I thank you that you sent your one and only son to come and to die for me. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads just for a moment to close our time together today. If you would say to me today, Jeremy, for me, I need to confess my sins. I need forgiveness. I need salvation. Nobody's looking around. You don't have to feel weird about that. But if that's you today, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? I want to pray for you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much today. And now if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, it's not about confession. It's about repentance. It's about like turning away. There's some things that I've confessed to God and I believe he forgave me, but I, I need to turn away from some choices and some lifestyles and some behaviors and some relationships. And I, I really need to be led by the spirit of God in my life. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Tons of hands today. God, I thank you that you knew what we needed and what we needed was Jesus. And so God, thank you today that because of the cross of Jesus Christ, that as soon as we confess with our mouth that we are sinners, that you are faithful and just to forgive us. And God, I thank you for every hand that was lifted today in this room. I thank you for every person watching online that identified their need for you to be the savior of their life. God, I thank you for the work that you're doing in hearts and lives right now. 
And God, I thank you for repentance. And I thank you that turning away process, that that work of sanctification, the cleansing of our souls from all unrighteousness. Lord, that you help us as we are led more and more by the Spirit. As we kill off the flesh and all the sinful desires. And so God, I pray right now, not for forgiveness for the rest of the people that lifted their hands, but for freedom today. That their hearts would be purified and their lives would more and more mirror who you are. And so God, we thank you for that work today. And God, we ask you to be glorified in all that we say and do from this moment forward. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.